0: So God, we even ask you to do that right now. Hearts that are in here who come in here tonight may be heavy, discouraged. I pray for those that are facing an overwhelming life situation. God, I ask you to do what only you can do, and that is to make our hearts, maybe our minds, and our spirits well tonight. Um, God, we are determined that our gaze is on you. And God, I pray tonight that as we're here to pray, God, I pray that you would give us hope. God, I pray that we would look at hopeless situations and we would have renewed hope. God, I pray we would leave here tonight just full of hope. And God, I pray for those situations around us. God, I even lift up our city. God, I lift up the city of Kansas City to you. And God, we want to hope for the hopeless people in our city. God, we want hope for the hopeless situations in our city. God, I pray for families where it looks like it's hopeless, and I pray for financial situations that look hopeless. And God, I pray for unsaved, unchurched people. God, I pray they may be in hopeless situations. God, give us hope for them. Give us hope to pray. Give us hope to share. Give us hope to love. When we don't have anything else, God, just give us more hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so honored to have an opportunity to share with you tonight. Uh, My wife isn't here. My boys aren't here. They are in St. Louis with family this week, and um, if she was here, she would nudge me and say, uh, take a moment and just um, thank Crown Point for being so much to our family. I think we've been going here right over a year, and uh, we came here transitioning um, out of uh, a ministry position we had in downtown Kansas City. And for our family, we were just looking for a healthy church. More than that, we were looking for a church for our whole family. And we came in here really in a time of transition and, to be honest with you, hurting. And we just kind of wanted to hide in a corner and sit in the back and find some shadows and, and kind of hang out and... Um, this has been a real healing station for our entire family. We're healthier than we've ever been. Our boys, every time there's a service, they feel like they're going to Disney World. Uh, they're just excited and can't wait and saying, Is it time to go yet? And youngest son, Justice, who uh, doesn't have a calendar, doesn't understand days or whatever, on Monday he'll say, Is this church night? On Tuesday, Is this church night? Is this uh, just excited to come. The, the best testimony that i have about our time at crown point church was my oldest son who's 10 years old uh, one night after wednesday night service uh, and i don't know what they talked about specifically in royal rangers but he came up to me and he said dad when you wake up in the morning and do your devotions can i do them with you and what does a dad say to that um it's like of course son (laughs) of course son and uh, that's not something i uh, asked him to do really encouraged him to do with me at all and, uh, but he came to me and said that, and um, so just thank you, and thank, thank you for the opportunity to share tonight. Obviously, we're going to talk about hope. I've been stuck on the theme of hope for a long time. Um, when I grew up, hope was a bad word. If my parents were to ask me something, did you clean your room? And I'd say, well, I, I hope I did. I, I, I can't remember. It was even more of a bad word in church. You know, are you believing God for your healing? Well, I hope so. Somebody will look at you weird and say, what do you mean you hope? Don't you have faith? As if like hope is a bad word or something. You just, growing up, we didn't talk about hope. It was in that category with saying, I wish for something. That's where hope belonged. Or saying, um, if I'm lucky, yeah, hope's in that category too. They're just, they're just bad words. Um, But the Bible talks about faith, hope, and love. And I feel like, and tonight I'm going to show you in the Word of God that hope is like a hinge to both of those. Um, hope, uh, you, you know, we all thought faith is like walking on the water. You know, we have hear it. Faith is when you could just walk on the water. If that's true, then hope is when you're flailing in the water and you're kicking your legs and flailing your arms and you're screaming out. I mean, you don't feel like you're walking on the water, you don't feel like you're up in the clouds, you're just trying to survive, and when you're in that place where you're just trying to survive, you hang on to hope. Um, We have a couple rules in our house. Really two rules. Well, it's not true. Ronan's not here. Um, We have a lot of rules in our house. We have, you know, rules for our boys, and then when Ronan says boys, she includes me. So there's, there's rules for the three of us in our house. There are rooms in our house that I'm not allowed to go into unless you come over. That's, she can be in that room, but the boys are not allowed in that room. Uh, Just not allowed. There are rooms that I have to take my shoes off before I go in that. I'm glad my wife isn't here tonight. Um, But you got to take your shoes off before you go in that room. The boys, no toys are allowed here. I have stuff. There's a rule that it has to stay in the garage. There are other rules that there are things in the garage that I'm not allowed to take out of the box. She's like, I don't even want to see those old trophies from high school, junior high. I mean, just leave them in the box. There, there's another rule that there's stuff of mine that's in the attic. And I was thinking about this. I don't think any of my wife's stuff is in the attic. It's <laughs> my stuff. And I think she's hoping whenever we move, we just forget. You know, there's some stuff in attic. Just, just, Well, there's really, in our house, there's two rules. And these aren't the type of rules that you can say. Now, listen, these are the rules. But the number one rule in our house is no fear. I don't want my boys to be afraid. I don't want to come home from work and they go, oh no. Did we clean our room? Did we do okay? Oh no, Dad's coming home. I don't want my wife when she sees me or I text her or I call her, go, oh no, what is it? I don't want any fear in my house. I don't want my boys to be afraid. I don't want them in the middle of the night say, I can't sleep, I'm so afraid. We say no, no, no. Let's now. They say that we talk them through it and say now. Now, why do you feel like you're afraid? Because there's no fear in our house. We don't watch stuff to scare us. We don't. I don't know if you could, but we don't listen to stuff to scare us. We don't. We don't want that in our house. We want a place where there's there's no fear. And the other one is there's no shame. There there's no shame when you mess up. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to put it under your bed. You don't have to throw it in the closet. When you make a mistake, there's no shame. Now, the fear thing is is a little easier to deal with, surprisingly, because the Bible's really clear about what the enemy. It says, perfect love cast out. It's perfect love. Now, I don't have perfect love. You don't have perfect love, but my goodness, his perfect love cast out all of our fear. And and this isn't part of the message, but I guess it is part of, because I'm talking about it now. If you're struggling with fear, encounter his perfect love tonight. If you feel hindered by fear, if you feel quieted by fear, if you feel limited by fear, if you feel enabled by fear, receive his perfect love. But this thing about shame that leads to despair is a tougher thing to deal with. And I think if we're really honest, we all kind of struggle with shame. And shame kind of metamorphosizes; it changes into despair. You ever been in a situation and you just you despair over that situation? You don't want to think about it. You don't want to talk about it. It's one of those things you want to you want to hide. And when you pray, if you pray about it, you say, "God, just take it away." God, help something happen that just erases that kind of despair and shame. And the only thing that fights that is hope. Hope, hope, is the door that leads us to have faith. Hope is the door that leads us to love. You can't even love others unless you can first just hope for them. I I define hope like this: hope is understanding that right now God is in the process of creating something beautiful. That's hope. Now the opposite of that, hopelessness, is the complete opposite. Hopelessness is self-evaluation before the finished product. It's stopping in the middle of what God's doing and evaluating yourself right now. Aren't you thankful tonight that right now, God's not saying, okay, let's, let's go over this. Let's go over this. No, we, we have hope. And we even look at others who are in brokenness and who are hurting and, and who don't serve God. And we look at them and we even hope for them. And that hope causes us to love. And then that love covers a multitude of sins. It's like this cycle, faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. If you turn to your Bible or find it on the app or want to read it on the screen, I just want to show you some verses in in John chapter 21. Uh, There's a, a scripture in Ecclesiastes as you're turning there. Ecclesiastes 311, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, we wish the last three words weren't there, but they are. But he makes everything beautiful in its time. Not our time, but in its time, he makes everything beautiful. If you're struggling with hope tonight, know that he makes everything, even that hopeless situation, he will make it beautiful. There is beauty. In the midst, even of our struggles, there is beauty, even in the midst of our difficulty in that situation. He will make it beautiful. He will make it beautiful. In the New Testament, I don't know anyone who dealt with despair as much as Peter after he had denied Christ. After he had denied Christ, the amount of despair that he felt. And John 21, verses one through nine, picks up the story. At that point, it says afterwards, Jesus appears to his disciples in verse one, and, and it lists the disciples who are all together. In verse three, here's what Peter says. He says, I'm going out to fish. And they said to him, well, well, Peter, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, when Peter goes out and fishes, it's not like you and I, when we go out to fish, of course, I don't know how you fish, but I assume you were never a professional fisherman. When I go out to fish, it's obvious I'm not a professional fisherman, Uh, but Peter, this is what he did before he was a disciple. This was his life before Christ. It was on a fishing boat after a night of fishing all night long and catching no fish that Jesus called Peter out as a disciple. And so when Peter goes back to fish, he's not saying, let's go hang out and have some fun. Peter is saying, I'm done. I'm returning to my previous life. He is full of despair. He is full of despair, hopelessness. I have denied Christ. He told me I was going to deny him. I denied that I would deny him three times. He told me and I did it anyways. And now he's gone. And Peter is carrying the load of that. I I never know if I have a second chance. I'll never get an opportunity to say I'm sorry. A a broken relationship with the creator of the world, with a person who called him out of nothing and and made him something, someone who became his closest friend. I I have no chance. I have no chance now. The problem is though, when Peter decides he's going to go out on the boat, the five disciples who were with him said, we'll go with you. And so now imagine this half of the 12 are out on a boat and their leader has left God. And that's the situation that they're in here. And this is a thing about hopelessness and why we have to be so careful about hopelessness in our lives is because hopelessness doesn't just want you. It wants everyone around you and dads and husbands who are in here. You have to fight for hope, not just for you, but for your family, moms that are in here, wives that are in here, you're not just holding on to hope for you. And I know some of you feel the weight of this tonight, but you're holding on to your family. You're carrying hope for your family. Crown Point Church, I'm determined that we just don't need to have hope for us, but we are carriers of hope for our city. You are carriers for hope for your neighborhood. Listen, it's not just you. We need you. Christ needs you. Christ needs you to be hope where all there is is hopelessness. Peter's in this situation. He jumps in the boat and he's thinking, oh my goodness, they're following me. And they fish all night long and they catch nothing. And the Bible says in verse four, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. I don't understand that verse. That verse doesn't make sense to me. Jesus is standing on the shore. Disciples can see him, but they don't know who he is. Now for the last three years, 24 seven, they're with Christ. They know whether or not Jesus Christ snores. They know what time he goes to bed. They know what he likes for breakfast. They know when he goes off and praise they know when he sits with them and he shares three solid years of this day in and day out they're with Christ now Christ sent them out to minister and they would come back but he was constantly around them and yet the six of them are facing Jesus Christ they're in the boat he's on the shore and they can't identify them and this is the problem with hopelessness this is the problem with despair is you can't even find Jesus anymore. You can't even identify that he's in the middle of making something beautiful in your life. You're just consumed with despair. You can't see that he's right there. You can't see that he's still working in your life. You start to say things like, well, he just doesn't seem to answer me anymore. I mean, I'll pray, but nothing seems to happen. Or, you know what? I just, I don't even want to go to church tonight. I, I just, I, I don't, it's a prayer thing. I, I just, I don't want to go to that. And, and despair is just creeping in where you can't even see Jesus at work in your life anymore. People that say, well, is God, is he even real? I mean, God, is he there? He doesn't answer prayer. He's mad at me. He's frustrated with me. It's because your hopeless situation has blinded you. And so he says to them, he says, friends, do you have any fish? And Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. It's almost, somewhat sarcastic here. Guys, how's the fishing? My disciples, how did that work for you? And it says the answer, no. And in verse six, he gives them instructions. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Now, I never understand these instructions in the Bible. If you're fishing in a boat... And there's no fish right here. And help me out. Why are there a bunch of fish right there? I mean, what, what is the difference? If you fished all night long here, and Jesus says, guys, you're, you're four feet away. Just if, if you would have thought of this, guys, I, I mean, you're the professional fisherman, but hear me out. Take your net and do this. And yet they obey. And it says they throw out their nets. When they did, they were unable to even haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This is a parallel story to when Peter was first called. This is a complete parallel story. Peter's out fishing all night long. He doesn't catch any fish. This is his occupation. So he comes in, he comes in early morning without any fish. And he's thinking, I got to face my wife and tell her we don't have any money. We didn't catch any fish. You got to face the kids. Hey, listen, we don't have any fish. I got to, my neighbors, I got to say, listen, I didn't catch anything last night. And imagine as the boats coming in, all the other boats are in, and they're dumping all their fish. And they're like, "Hey, Peter, how many fish last night?" He just kind of holds his head down, and he can't answer them. I mean, this is this is Peter. Peter appears to be a really bad fisherman, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But but I, I have I have nothing. And they're in that same situation. Jesus says, "Cast your net to the other side; more fish than they could take." And all of a sudden, it says, "The disciple." Jesus loved, says, it's him. It's the Lord. It's it's Master. It's it's Christ. I don't know why Peter still can't connect the dots, but it's not him who understands. It's not his revelation. The Bible says it's this. It's the other disciple who turns to him and says, it's Christ. And I love what Peter does next here. He yells. Christ! I mean, a flood of emotion hits him. We don't know exactly what he thought at that moment, but he's overwhelmed with second chance, like a flood. Hope rushes in. I mean, like that. It rushes in. Second chance! And the Bible says that he takes his outer garment, he puts on his outer garment, he wraps it around him. again, I don't understand this. You ever see the the movies, all TV shows where maybe somebody's walking around a pool and they realize that that there's a young kid or somebody swimming in the water and they're having difficulty and they're saying, help, help, help. Now, in the TV shows, here's what they do. They stop and they take their shoes off. And then, you know, they take their, it's a leather belt. I got to take my belt off. And they take their wallet off and, you know, take their glasses. I never, you know, you just jump in. I mean, if my kid's drowning in a pool, I just jump in. My shoes get wet. They they can dry or buy new my kid is drowning. But in TV shows and movies they stop and you know take their shoe, the lifeguard t- takes a second takes off his shirt first and then flings off his flip-flops and then makes a perfect dive and but that's not really how it is. I mean, you're just you're just flinging everything you have, you don't care. And here's what Peter does. When he jumps into water, he grabs his coat. He puts on his coat. And then he jumps in the water. That doesn't appear to make sense. That's, that's very unusual. I understand if he took something off before he jumped in the water. But he grabs his coat. He wraps it around him. And then he jumps in the water after Jesus. And I got to say, Peter, why? Peter, why? Why before you jump in the water? Do you wrap this cloak around you? Do you put a coat on? And here's what I believe Peter was doing Peter saw Christ. He realized where he was standing. And he looked down at his possessions. And he grabbed them and he wrapped them around him. And he jumped out of that boat saying, I'm never returning to this boat again. Yes. Whatever I have is going with me. This isn't my boat anymore, I'm his in an instant, in an instant, he says, I'm not leaving anything behind. The Bible describes it. The Bible here describes the exact distance that Peter is from the shore. It says that he has to swim. I think it's a hundred yards here. He swims about a hundred yards and the boat kind of travels in. you imagine that picture if you're in the boat and you're watching us, Peter, I mean, with passion, full of hope, as he's just swimming hard after Christ and Christ is standing there and sure his heart is overwhelmed at this picture as well. Someone who is running hard after him and, and Peter gets up on the shore and he spends time with Christ and, and never while they're talking, does Christ say, okay, Peter, have a seat and let's talk about this. Okay. Now, now I told you, now I gave you some insight and you didn't want to listen. Now Now, I I told you that I was going to establish my church on you. I I called you out to be a leader. And you're just going to have to step it up a little bit if you're going to do this. I mean, it it never happens. I mean, Peter, second to Judas, I mean, has the biggest denial of Christ of the disciples. And yet it's never addressed. Jesus never addresses it. He never corrects them. He realized that Peter got it as soon as he got hope. As soon as hope came in, it's there. And the questions that Jesus asked Peter are, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you do you love me? Do you do you really love me? I know you have hope. And I know you see me face to face. You're full of faith. And you're ready to be that guy who grabs a sword. You're ready to be that guy who says, No, 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 and take charge. And now Jesus says, I need to know, do you have love now? Do you now understand love? Peter says, yes, I get it. Yes, I get it. And listen, tonight, your situation, obviously it's not like Peter's. It's not to the degree of Peter's. But I know that every single one of us has a hopeless situation that either we're facing or it's around us. And listen, tonight, I have one point. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. When you lose hope, you're about to lose faith. When you lose hope, you're about to lose love. When you lose hope, you're about to lose joy. When you lose hope, you're about to lose peace. Don't lose hope. Listen, in your situation, you might lose sleep, In your situation, you might lose hair. But don't lose hope. Hold on to hope. Wrap your arms around hope. In that hopeless situation, hold on to hope. He is in the middle of doing something beautiful. And you can't see it. Maybe you don't know it. And maybe all you have is doubt. But in the midst of your doubt, hold on to hope. I love this scripture in Colossians 1, 18 through 20. It says, he was supreme in the beginning... And leading to resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there. And he towers far above everything and everyone. And listen to this part of the verse. It says, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. And then he gets really specific. People and things, animals and atoms, they all get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. He is in the middle of doing something beautiful. You know, Jesus, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he was a man with a mission. He went after Peter. He went after the two men on their way outside of the city of Jerusalem. He went after them. He went after those, even if they were doubting, to say, well, touch. He went after them. He realized that his disciples were swimming in hopelessness. And so he aggressively went after, specifically went after. In a short amount of days, he specifically went after his disciples. He went after them to say, don't lose hope. Have hope. And listen, Crown Point Church, this is our mission. Our mission is to go into dark areas and say, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. And listen, tonight, you belong in hopelessness. Now, hold on. You belong right smack in the middle of hopelessness. You belong surrounded by people who say, I don't believe God anymore. I don't know God. I don't see him at work in my life. I don't want anything to do with him. You belong in those hopeless situations. You belong right there. Don't pray your way out of those hopeless situations. Say, God, bring hope here. God, bring hope to this situation. I love the very first thing that was said about Jesus Christ when he was born in the manger. The angels visit the shepherds in the field. And remember this, the very first thing that's said about Jesus Christ, the very first thing, I mean, the shepherds are hiding in fear. That's what man knows to do. When God comes, hide. Ever since the garden, when God comes, you hide. That's what man has been programmed to do is hide your face, hide from him. And so the shepherds are doing what they know to do. They are, they are hiding and the angels say, hey, here's the very first thing that said, fear not. We don't have fear anymore. We don't have, fe- he's here. You, you don't have fear anymore. You don't have doubt anymore. You, you don't have shame anymore. You, you don't have that anymore. That's not you anymore. Fear not. I have good news that brings great joy. Don't fear. I've got really good news. Guess what? He's in the middle of doing something beautiful. Don't hide. Hang on to hope. We stand up tonight? I want to pray a prayer over you before we go on in a prayer this evening. God, I, I pray tonight that we will As Ecclesiastes says, God, that we'll carry a revelation of that in our spirits. That, God, you make everything beautiful in its time.